Hey everyone, this is Miss Akimoto with your next chapter of The Cricket in Times Square. Yesterday, Chester real or Mario realized that Chester might be eating money because he might be having some dietary needs that aren't being fulfilled by eating whatever food Mario likes. So he went to see Saifong, who had him invited him to dine with him and have some Chinese food with him and another gentleman. And they found out that Chester needs to be eating mulberry leaves. So Saifong happened to have a mulberry tree right in his yard and picked some leaves for Chester, who was delighted to have them. So here is chapter 10, The Dinner Party. Late one night, Chester Cricket was very busy inside the newsstand. As soon as the Bellinis went home, he hopped out of the matchbox and began to clean up. First, he pushed in the box so that sides were even and then slid it over beside the alarm clock. Next, he pulled a piece of Kleenex out of the Kleenex box and dragged it back and forth across the shelf. When the shelf was dusted, he picked up the tissue paper in his two front legs and polished the Cricket cage so the bars shone. He wiped off the glass in the front of the alarm clock and the radio too until he could see his own reflection. The dial of the clock was luminous and it shed a very soft green light. Chester wanted everything to be perfect on this particular evening. There was going to be a party. It was exactly two months since Chester had arrived in New York and the three animals wanted to celebrate the anniversary. Nothing too formal, you understand, just a little dinner party for everyone. Tucker Mouse had volunteered to let them use the drain pipe, but Chester didn't want to eat amidst all the waste paper and rubbish his friend had collected. So, after many conferences, they resolved on the newsstand. It was sheltered and quite big enough, and the radio could provide some nice background music. Tucker Mouse jumped up beside Chester. How's the food coming, Tucker? He asked the cricket. Asked the cricket. Tucker had been put in charge of refreshments. <laughs> laughed Tucker Mouse, rubbing his front feet together. Wait till I tell you. He lifted up one foot. I have two chunks of liverwurst, one slice of ham, three pieces of bacon from a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich, some lettuce and tomato from said sandwich, whole wheat, rye, and white crusts, a big glob of coleslaw, two squares from a Hershey chocolate bar, and the end of an O. Henry candy bar with nuts. And now comes the climax. Tucker paused iced soft drinks how did you get the ice asked chester wait i'll tell you said tucker all day i've been hiding by the lunch counter when the soda jerks make a coke i grab the ice they spilled which i then took to the drain pipe um you might be thinking whoa tucker what's with the name colin they just they're trying to work um but back in the 1950s people who worked at um lunch counters where they serve sodas so sodas were also different they weren't it wasn't just like a can of like coca-cola you'd have to like mix the syrup with the sparkling water kind of like if you have one of those soda makers and they had to mix that and the name that they called the people who worked at soda counters were soda jerks so it's not an insult he's not being like he's a jerk um it's just the name that they called those type of workers you were a soda jerk if you worked behind a soda counter There, he went on with a special pride. It is happening. I have heat-proofed insulated bag saved up for just an occasion. I put in the ice, shut up the opening. We have ice. Nice, eh? He sat back on his haunches and grinned at Chester. Very nice, said Chester. And where have you got the drinks? In paper cups, said Tucker. And no mixing of the drinks either. For each kind of soft drink, another cup. 
That's wonderful, said the cricket with admiration. Oh, it's nothing, really, said Tucker, waving a foot. I mean, it's something, but nothing too much. So I think Tucker's kind of being a little... Um, he's trying to be modest, but we know he's actually really proud of himself. He looked around at the shelf and clock and everything. You are to be congratulated on the cleanliness. Of course, it isn't as important as food getting, but to be clean is very nice too. So I want to pause really quick and talk about the genre of this story. So this is a fantasy story because in fantasy stories, things happen that can't happen in real life involving magic or talking animals or mystical creatures, things like that. There are two kinds of fantasy stories. There is low fantasy where it's magic and and, uh, things happening in our own world that don't normally happen. And then there's something called high fantasy where an author creates an entire new world. So an example of high fantasy would be Harry Potter where everything takes place in this this different world, this Hogwarts world. It has a bit of it since muggles are involved, but it's considered high fantasy because the Hogwarts world and the magic world is something that J.K. Rowling had to come up with. The Cricket in Times Square is a great example of low fantasy because it takes place in our world, the rules of our world still apply, but the animals are talking, which is something that can't happen. So that's what makes it low fantasy. Let's carry on with the dinner party. While they were talking, Harry Cat came in through the opening at the side of the newsstand. Chester hopped down, like a good host, to greet his new guests. How was the concert? he asked. Harry had been down to Washington Square to hear an open-air concert of chamber music. How you could play chamber music outdoors, Chester didn't understand, but it was New York and anything could happen. Um, Chamber music is music played inside of a small room, and so chamber music outside is kind of an oxymoron. Very good, answered Harry, but I don't think the violinist played nearly as well as you do. It made Chester very happy to hear that, but he had to turn away so Harry wouldn't see him blush. Harry, help me with the food, said Tucker. He jumped down to the floor and scurried over to the drain pipe. The mouse and the cat put all kinds of different courses over to one side with a soft drink so everyone could go up and help himself. It was buffet style. Tucker and Chester sat on the shelf and Harry, who was taller, sat on the stool. But his head was on a level with theirs. Tucker Mouse took great pride in cooling the soft drinks. There were four cups, one with Coca-Cola, one with Pepsi, one with root beer, and the last orange pop. I remember pop is another word for soda, especially back east where this takes place in New York. Tucker put a big piece of ice in each and then made a show of stirring them up with a straw he had found that afternoon. Ah, he sighed, where but New York could a mouse have ice in his Coca-Cola? We should have music, said Harry. He reached over and flicked on the radio. First, they got a news report, but that wouldn't do for a party. Harry twisted the dial and went through a quiz show, an amateur hour, a play about the Deep South before he got what he wanted. Music is very nice for a party because it gives you time to eat your fill without having to make conversation. Harry Cat was working on his second piece of O. Henry candy bar when he suddenly stopped munching and listened to the tune the radio was playing. His head began to sway from side to side. This is my favorite song, he said, beginning to hum along with it. Sing it, Harry, said Chester Cricket. You don't know what you're letting yourself in for, blurted Tucker Mouse through a mouthful of bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. But Harry was in a party mood, so he cleared his throat and began. 
when I'm calling you. Harry had a delightful yowl that went well with the lyrics of the song. You see what I told you? groaned Tucker. Harry went right on, however. Will you answer true? Maybe we should turn back to the amateur hour, said Tucker Mouse, helping himself to the Hershey bar. Um, an amateur is someone who um, is just learning to do something. So an amateur hour would be people just learning to play music or do um, stand up or things like that, performing. I think Harry sings beautifully, said Chester. You sing now, Chester, said Harry Cat. Secretly, the cricket was very anxious to perform for them, but he had to have some encouragement first. He limbered his wings and said, it's not really singing, you know. Singing, playing, who cares as long as it doesn't sound like Harry, said Tucker Mouse. He slurped up the last of the orange soda and they all fell silent. It was well along in August by now and just the time of year that crickets all over the world like most. Chester hadn't done nearly as much chirping as usual this summer because he was living in New York, but tonight he played to his heart's content. He thought of his meadow and the stump and the brook and the old willow tree. The song swelled up from his wings and filled the newsstand. When it was over, Tucker and Harry applauded and congratulated Chester. Now play us something we know, suggested Harry Cat. Well, I don't know if I can, said Chester. All of my songs are my own compositions. Listen to the radio and play what it does, said Harry. He turned up the music. Chester cocked his head on one side. The radio was playing the Blue Danube Waltz. When he heard enough to memorize the melody, Chester joined in, and he played it perfectly. The cricket was such a natural musician that he not only chirped the tune, in a few minutes he was making up variations and spinning them without ever losing the rhythm of the waltz. He found that by tilting his wings, he could make the notes go higher or lower, just as he wanted. Chester got a standing ovation from his friends. Harry Cat, who had crept into the Metropolitan Opera House a few times, knew how people acted there and shouted, Bravo, Chester, bravo! Of course, after such a sample of his talent for imitating songs, his friends insisted that he keep on. And Chester was happy to oblige. There's nothing like a good audience to encourage a performer. The next selection from the radio was a group of Italian folk songs. Chester picked out the different melodies and tripped them along with the orchestra. After the folk songs came a group of operatic arias. It was easier for Chester to play the ones written for tenors than the ones for sopranos, contralto, and basses, but he did them all beautifully. Each time he stopped after singing to a new piece, the animal shouted, More! 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 So Chester went right on. Now came a South American rumba. The rhythm was very tricky and it took the cricket a few minutes to catch on, but once he had it, he never lost the beat. Chirping away, he sounded like a pair of lively castanets. Imagine, exclaimed Tucker Mouse, he plays pop as well as classical. Tucker was feeling very lively himself because of all the soda water he had swallowed. The South American tempo began to excite him. He jumped up and started to dance around the shelf. Harry Cat burst out laughing, but that didn't bother Tucker. He was a carefree soul. Chester can play, I can dance, he panted. We should go into vaudeville. If you dance as well as he played, you could, said Harry. So I'm just learning, said Tucker, 
and threw himself into a wild twirl next to Papa Bellini's pipe. He couldn't see where he was going and toppled over into the box of kitchen matches. The box flipped over. A shower of matches fell around the shelf and onto the cement floor. There were several yellow bursts and the sharp scratch that a match makes when it's lit. Most of them fell far enough away from the wooden walls so that they could burn themselves out without danger. But one match, unluckily, struck right next to a pile of that morning's newspapers. The spurt of flames it set lit up the frayed edge of the papers and quickly spread over the whole bundle. Watch out, yelled Chester. Harry Cat leaped up to the shelf just in time to keep his tail from being burned. The cricket was first to realize what had happened and what was likely to happen if they didn't put the fire out. Get the Coca-Cola, he said. Pour it over. I drank it all, shouted Tucker. You would, said Chester. Is there any ice? Harry and Tucker dumped what was left of the insulated bag down onto the flames. But it wasn't enough. The fire sputtered, died down, and then flared up again larger than ever. Maybe we can smother it, said Harry. There was a pile of magazines on the very edge of the shelf just above the fire. Harry strained and pushed and succeeded in toppling them over. They all peered over the edge to see if the fire was out. Oh, fine, said Tucker. She's still burning and you blocked the hole to get out. They were trapped. Harry and Tucker jumped down and started pulling away the magazines furiously, but the fire crept closer and they had to back away. What a way to go, said Tucker. I should have stayed on 10th Avenue. For a moment, Chester got panicky, but he forced his thoughts back into order and took stock of the situation. And an idea struck him. In one leap, he jumped onto the alarm clock, landing right on the button that set off the alarm. The old clock began ringing so wildly that it shook itself around the shelf in a mad dance. Chester hopped back to his friends. Any alarm in a fire, he said. They waited, crouched against the wall. On the opposite side of the flames, the flames were lapping against the wood. Already the paint on it had begun to blister. Chester could hear voices outside the newsstand. Even at this hour, there were always a few people in the station. Somebody said, What's that? I smell smoke, said another. Chester recognized the voice. It was Paul, the conductor on the shuttle. There was the sound of footsteps running away and then running back again. And a hammering began. The newsstand shook all over. Somebody get the other side, said Paul. The cover was wrenched off. Clouds of smoke billowed up. The people standing around were astonished to see, through the fumes and the glare of the fire, a cat, a mouse, and a cricket running, jumping to safety. And that's it for this chapter. Come back tomorrow to find out what happens to our animal friends. <laughs>